I've entitled the morning's message, The God of a Second Chance. And if you'd turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21, uh, verses 15 to 23, where Paul read for us earlier. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? As we look at John 21, this is now the third time that Jesus will reveal himself to the disciples If you turn back one page to John chapter 20, verse 19, the first time after the resurrection, and we went through this last week, is in verse 19. Then that same night at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. This was the first time after the resurrection. Now the second time is actually in verse 26 to 29. Thomas wasn't there the first time. Now eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them and Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. This would have been the second time after the resurrection that Jesus appeared to his disciples. Now if you turn the page to chapter 21 again, look down at verse 14, uh, we find the setting um, in the Galilee, and we read in verse 14, now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. We'll go back to verse one, and I'd like to go verse by verse through this chapter, And as we do, it begins now in a different setting. The first two places would have been in Jerusalem. We're now up in the area of the Galilee. And we read in verse 21, verse 1, it says, After these 
things. And I'm going to stop right there and ask the questions, well, what things? And the answer to the question, after these things, what things? Well, after Jesus rose from the grave, he told his disciples to go to Galilee and he would meet them there. He actually told the women uh, that when they came um, to the tomb early in that morning, go tell my disciples that I'll meet them in the Galilee. All right, this last chapter in John, where it says, after these things, we ask the question, what things? Uh, Are those things where he appeared to his disciples in the Galilee. Now, um, I was laying in bed on Friday night thinking about this verse after these things, and I'm thinking, um, this reminds me of another verse that says after these things, written by the same man, John, but not in the book of John, but in the book of Revelation. John would later use these exact same words and it intrigued me to such a point that I wanted to know in the original language in the Greek, is he he actually saying after these things in John 21 verse one? Turn with me if you would to the book of Revelation chapter four. It's the same author and I'm sitting there laying in bed and I'm thinking, I'm wondering, is it in the same context? Is it in the Greek exactly the same wording. So I did a little word study and uh, that's what we're going to do right here a couple times this morning, but this first one in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, I'm doing this for a couple reasons. Because we're going to be starting the book of Revelation, I want to give you um, something to think about before we actually begin the book. And I thought this would be a good way to leave the Gospel of John and work our way into the book of Revelation. There are a lot of similarities of the writer, the number seven, and um, I don't have time to get into all of them, but I'll get into quite a few of them this morning. So if you're at Revelation chapter four, verse one, it says, after these things. Now the context here is after the things of what? In this case, it's after the things of the church age. So I did the word study in the Greek and I found out um, the word meta in the Greek, after. We get this from, if you're taking notes and you want to be a good Berean and make sure I'm quoting this correctly, you can look in your Strong's um, Center G3326 and that's the word after and the Greek is meta. So meta in the Greek is after. Now the second word, these things, in the English language is two words, but in the Greek is only one. It's tata. These things, the Strong's G5023. It's exactly the same words in John chapter 21, verse one, after these things, after what things back there? After the things of the resurrection. But in this context, the same author in Revelation chapter four, after these things, exactly the same Greek words, after what things? Well, in in this case, um, it is after the things that pertain to the church. 
Now, we'll probably have one week of just doing an introduction when we start the book of Revelation. But I want you to go back and let's do a quick overview of the first three chapters. Um, the key verse to understanding the book of Revelation is chapter one, verse 19. John is still alive. He's on the island of Patmos. And what happens in chapter one is the Lord appears to him. And in verse 19, he tells John, write the things that you have seen. All right, that would be what was happening in chapter one. And then write the things which are, that would have been present tense, and then the things that will take place after this. This is the key verse to the book of Revelation. Write the things you've seen. What did he see? Well, the number seven is gonna come up quite a bit here. Um, Write seven letters to seven churches. Verse 20 says, the seven stars are the seven angels, the seven churches, the seven lampstands, which you saw are the seven churches. So we have seven letters to seven churches. Well, chapter one, the first division of the book of Revelation is chapter one. What did you see? Well, he saw Jesus. And then he says, write the things that are. That's chapters two and three. And we have seven letters beginning with Ephesus. We'll be coming back to Ephesus in just a little bit. Write the things which are. Well, John was in the church age. The church began at Pentecost. It has a beginning. It has an end. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in will be the end of the church age. So chapters two and three, you'll notice, are all red letters. And we have these seven churches. We'll be studying them in depth when we go through them. And then if you'll notice, chapters one and two, if you have a red letter Bible, when you get to chapter four, this verse that we're talking about, after these things, all of a sudden you have black letters. Why? Because now you've just begun the third division to the book of Revelation, the things that will be after. Well, after what? After the things of the church age. God owes Israel seven years. And four and five is sort of a break, shows where the church goes. And then in chapter six, we have the beginning of the tribulation. And um, um, that will remain in black print until we get to the end of, uh, of the Bible. So just a little something to whet your appetite, so to speak, as we will be tying uh, this together because in all my years of ministry across the board, I've been talking to friends that I haven't talked to in years. Um, we're calling each other and contacting people that I haven't heard from from years and years. And we live in unprecedented times. And in order to equip and have a better understanding from a biblical perspective, not from CNN or Fox News or CBN, uh, any of those outside sources who cannot explain to you biblically what is taking place, why it's taking place, but the word of God is very, very clear. And we should be expecting these events to be unfolding exactly as the scripture said. All right, enough of a teaser on Revelation. Let's go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And uh, we've made it all the way into the first three words. (laughs) After these things, we read, 
Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Now he's going to describe that. Now in verse 2, we have Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other of his disciples. So five are named, two are not, there's seven in total. And again, um, I, I find that interesting that there's, a, there's seven here. Uh, but before we can actually get into the rest of these verses, we need to have the other gospels fill in some, some of the uh, blanks here. Three years earlier, when Jesus called John, the writer of this gospel, he was in business with Simon Peter. And I want to take you back to Luke. If you're watching live stream, I hope you have your Bibles open and you're following along with me. So go back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, and we'll look at what it was like three years earlier. This is chapter 21 is three years later, but three years earlier, chapter 5 of Luke, verse 1 So it was when the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God. I like that verse. That he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that would be Peter, and asked him to put out a little uh, from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon Peter, launch out to the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon said to him, Master, I can just see he's tired. We've been out all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish that their nets were breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. Now, if you're a fisherman on a Sea of Galilee or a seasoned man, you know how to fish. And this was something that was supernatural. And Peter knew it all too well. So when Peter saw it, verse eight, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He knew what had just taken place was supernatural. He had just heard the Bible study that Jesus had given. And now he has this miracle where there's so many fish in the boat that it's beginning to sink and Peter is thinking, oh my goodness, I am in the presence of God. And he was aware of it. And as a result of that, he says in verse eight, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinner. And I realize that I have God in the boat with me right now. I found it interesting, yesterday was April 18th. And as I was reading my wisdom for today, I thought how appropriate because there's so many people today who have a head knowledge, even a biblical knowledge, of Jesus Christ. 
but they don't have a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ like Peter had this encounter right here. And the difference is, Jesus is gonna say someday to some people, depart from me, I never knew you. What do you mean, I never knew you? I was serving you all the time. I did this and this and this and this, and yet the Lord says, I never knew you. They knew about Jesus, but they never had this encounter here. And the way that it usually manifests itself with people who know about the Lord have this tendency to compare themselves to people instead of the Lord. So I don't think it's a coincidence at all that Today is the 19th, yesterday was April 18th. I'm quoting from Wisdom for Today. It's called Encountering God, and he's quoting Job, chapter 42, five through six. Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is Chuck's commentary on this verse. To this point in Job's story, he had defended himself to his friends. When they hinted that perhaps there was something shady in his background, Job denied it. I've been honest, fair. I've contributed to my community and maintained my integrity. And when he looked at himself in the light of others, Job came out looking pretty good. We like comparing ourselves with others, when we make others the standard for righteousness. We often come out looking pretty good. I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot better than he is. But in the end, we won't be judged by the standards of others. The standard by which we will be judged is Jesus Christ. When Job turned his eyes toward God, his view of himself changed. He said, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. He who had maintained his integrity suddenly saw himself in the light of God's holiness and purity. Seeing his own filth, he repented. You may pride yourself in your accomplishments or your successes, but mark this. When you see a proud man, you see a man who has not yet encountered God. Because once you've truly seen God, There is no place for pride. Even if you're a minister, a president, or even the Pope, once a person truly sees God, the result is deep contrition and humility. The result is a repentive heart, a heart that cries, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what's happening here. Look at verse eight again. When Peter realized who was in the boat with him, He fell down at Jesus' knees and said, depart from me for I am a sinful man. It goes on to say, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so when James and John and the sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon Peter, okay, we learned something here. All these guys are in the Galilee waiting for the Lord but they've been business partners even before they met the Lord. So we have Peter and Andrew, James and John, they were business partners. And Jesus said to Simon in verse 10, do not be afraid, for from now on you're going to catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all 
and they followed him. Would you just let this sink in for a second? They're in business. Imagine having the most successful day in your life in the business world, and the Lord says, good job. Leave it all behind and come and follow me. The thing about it was, there's no hesitation here. The Bible simply says that um, that's exactly what they did. The most successful day in their life, boats overflowing with fish, beginning to sink, and they, the Lord says, well, from here on out, guys, we're catching fish. You come and follow me. They all left, Peter, James, and John, Andrew, and they became followers of Jesus. Now, if we go back to Luke, uh, John chapter 21, we read in verse two, there's seven that are named. Again, it's interesting to me that there's only seven. The obvious question is, what is the other four? Judas is gone. The answer to that is, I don't know. (laughs) But it's interesting to me because John's gospel is written around seven I am statements and seven miracles. Seven times he will say, my hour has not yet come. And here are seven disciples. Now, the same writer of this gospel is a writer of Revelation, so what's the first thing we find out when we turn to the book of Revelation? Well, the Lord appears to this same John. John, I want you to write seven letters to seven churches. He turns around and he sees the Lord with seven golden lampstands and seven stars in his hands. There's seven angels, so seven is reoccurring over and over and over again. So why is there seven here? I don't know. Uh, Waiting for more information on that one. Let's pick it up in verse three, chapter 21 of John. So Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. Now remember the Lord hasn't showed up yet and patience has settled into um, Peter. And the rest of the guys said to him, we're going fishing with you. And they went out and immediately got in a boat that they might, um, but they caught nothing. And when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, what anybody standing on shore tells, ask a guy who's fishing, catch anything? And that's what the Lord said to him, children, have you caught any food? They answered, no. And he said, well, try casting the net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. Now, that's the craziest thing you'll ever heard if you're a fisherman, but it caused the wheels to start turning because John had heard that somewhere before, three years earlier, and so did Peter. And so they cast, and now there were so great a multitude of fish Um, they weren't able to draw it. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciple came in a little boat, and they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubics, which is about 300 feet, dragging the net with them. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coal there and fish laid on it and bread. The Lord had made breakfast for these guys. And he said, well, bring some of the 
fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to him, come and eat breakfast. Interesting again, yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Why would they ask that? Again, he changed his appearance to Mary. He changed his appearance, clearly we're told, with Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus. And for some reason, they're asking him, they didn't say, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Remember the Lord says, go and wait for me in Galilee. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now with that much of a background, um, we come to our text uh, having a, a fuller picture of this happening before from the other gospels. So in verses 15 through 17, now breakfast is over and the Lord calls Peter over and he begins to question him in verse 15. And he says to Peter, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now this is a perplexing question because we really don't know what Jesus was looking at when he says, do you love me more than these? And the question is, what was Jesus looking at when he said this? Was he looking at the fish or was he looking at the disciples? If Jesus was looking at the fish, Peter, do you love me more than your worldly profession? Peter, remember that successful day when you had that big catch? You left it all and you followed me? You're fishing again. And all the guys are following you. Do you love me more, Peter, than your worldly profession? We're living in a time where we need to make sure our priorities are where they should be. Good place for an amen. I heard one. (laughs) Or, if Jesus was looking at his disciples, he would have been reminding Peter of when he denied him. Jesus told the Lord, they might all deny you, but I will never deny you. We need to go to Mark chapter 14, just quickly, verse 26 through 31. This would have been after the Last Supper. We'll read a little bit later where Peter's asking Jesus about that disciple who leaned on the Lord's chest during that Last Supper. Pick it up in verse 26. So after the Lord's Supper, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. That's John 21. But Peter said to them, even if all were made to stumble, yet I will not be. 
And Jesus said unto him, Assuredly, I say to you, that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And one of the gospel writers, um, it tells us, but here he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die, I will do it. I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. So in another gospel it says, they, though they all deny you, Lord, you forget who you called me? I'm Rocky, remember? I'm the guy you can trust. I will never let you down. I will die first. That will never happen. Well, it did happen. Let's go back to John 21 with that much. Just reminding you of that. So what was he looking at? Peter, if it's, are you thinking about going back to your old ways? You love me more than your profession? I know you love to fish, Peter. You love me more than fishing? Your business? Or the disciples. You said you love me more than the disciples and um, that they might deny you, but you never would. Peter was saying he loved Jesus more than all the others. He said, yes, Lord. So the question, let's go back to verse 15. Peter, do you love me more than these? Well, it could have been the fish. It could have been the disciples. And he said to him, yes, Lord, I know. Uh, He said to him, so he said to him, feed my sheep. Well, to really understand what's going on here, we have to, again, do a little word study with these three verses. So if you're taking notes, again, I encourage you to um, check me up using your strong concordance or blue letter Bible. And we find that the words here for love, where Peter says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? That first one. Well, what Jesus, what we have in the, in the Greek language is we have three different words for the word love. We have phileo, which is brotherly love. I personally feel that's where Philadelphia got its name, the city of brotherly love. So that's one meaning for the word love here, and that's uh, phileo. Then there's eros. Um, We get the word erotic. It's a sensual sort of meaning in love. And the third one is agape. That's when you read 1 Corinthians 13 where it gives a definition of love. Suffers long, kind, forbearing, the love of God. So the Greeks have three words, phileo, eros, and agape. What the Lord is saying in verse 15 is, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? And Peter's response, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I, and the word there is not agape, it's phileo. In other words, I'm fond of you. And um, so he said to them, feed my lambs. Um, Feed my lambs. Let's just stop and consider that. What is a lamb? A lamb is a baby, baby sheep. As it pertains to being a Christian, we sometimes use Christianese and we just say, he's just a babe in the Lord. How do you feed a lamb? Well, if you're taking notes, write down 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, where it says, as newborn babes, spiritually speaking, desire the milk of the word that you may grow thereby. What do you feed a baby when he's born? You don't give him a T-bone. 
he has mother's milk because that's all he can handle for a period of time. What do you feed baby Christians? The milk of the word. So Dwight, what's the milk of the word? I'm glad you asked that question. If you're taking notes, write down Hebrews chapter six, looking at verses one and two. Now, this is almost condescending letter and remark that I believe Paul's writer to the Hebrews. In verses one and two, he's chiding them because they've been walking with the Lord for some period of time, but they're still acting like baby Christians. So I'm quoting now Hebrews 6 verse 1. I call them the ABCs of the gospel or the milk of the word. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, ABCs, when you went to elementary school, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Well, I don't go bar hopping anymore on, on Friday and Saturday night. I've left that behind, but that's all they were talking about. And then have faith towards God. Well, that's what we teach a baby Christian. Okay, no more bar hopping. Uh, You leave that, and then you turn towards faith towards God. You leave the one, and you turn towards the other. And then he goes on to say, and the doctrine of baptism. Well, what was the first thing that Peter told them to do when the 3,000 were saved? Believe and be baptized. The doctrine of baptism. And then the laying out of hands. Well, um, I think it's impossible to walk the Christian walk without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe there's two baptisms, one in water and one by fire. There's coming one who will baptize you with fire. And that is the laying out of hands. Well, that's all stuff we learn as baby Christians. But then what's the rest, what else do we learn? Well, we, we learn of the resurrection of the dead and that there's gonna be a judgment one day. These are the ABCs of being a Christian. But they weren't going past that. They were staying in that in the elementary, what Paul calls here the elementary principles of Christ. All right, that's how you feed a lamb. You teach them the elementary principles. You teach them the milk of the word so that they could grow to to have solid food. All right, let's go back to John chapter 21 and um, make our way through the rest of verse, now the second one, verse 16, where the second time Jesus says to Peter, verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And the word is, do you agape me? And he said, he said, yes, Lord, you know that I am phileo, the word is not agape, fond of you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. Well, how do you tend sheep? I thought of this book when I read this verse. This is by Philip Keller. It's a classic. It's called The Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. He was a sheep herder, and as a, he owned his own ranch. And I'm just going to read a paragraph of Philip, Philip Keller uh, on tending sheep. He says, the day I bought them, referring to the sheep, I also realized that this was but the first stage in a long-lasting endeavor 
and which from then on I would, as their owner, have to continually lay down my life for them if they were to flourish and prosper. Sheep just do not take care of themselves as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways as we'll see in further chapters. Our mass mind, or in parentheses, our mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. Yet, despite these adverse characteristics, Christ chooses us, he's bought us, he calls us by name, and makes us his own and delights in caring for us. That's tending sheep. So Peter, do you love me? Then I want you to tend my sheep. Let's look at verse 17. The third time is going to be different from the last two because now Jesus comes down to Peter's level. And this is where I think it's important to have word studies because you get a whole deeper meaning on what's going on here. There's a reason Jesus is calling Peter out to get his attention. Because remember the Lord, Peter basically told the Lord, Lord, you don't, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't, you don't know me, Lord. I would never do that. So he's trying to get Peter's attention. And it's when he, we use the Greek word here for love that we finally see what's going on. So in verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? This time he doesn't use the word agape. He comes down to Peter's level. He says, Peter, do you flail me? And Peter was grieved. Now we understand why he was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, how many times did he deny him? Yeah, Peter's doing the math. And he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? That grieved Peter. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. What was his attitude before? Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. I would never do that. You, you know that I phileo you. I think I'm up here. You're proving to me I was wrong, that you know me better than I do. And then Jesus said, okay, Peter, then I want you to feed my sheep. We have feed the lambs, tend the sheep. Now feed the sheep. And... Um, Um, This grieved Peter when he said it to him because Peter had denied Jesus three times. Lord, you don't know me. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot down John 2, verse 24. Jesus said Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. Now, seeing that this is our last Sunday morning in the Gospel of John, one of the points that I've made on every personal conversation that Jesus had with anybody in the Gospel of John. He tells that, including John the Baptist, he tells that person something about themselves that they're sure nobody else knows, showing that he is the creator. 
that he is God. So here he tells Peter, after Peter is grieved, and he says, Lord, you know me better than I do. And he says, I know, Peter, but I still want you to feed my sheep. Well, we feed the sheep not by preaching. That's for the lost. Some churches you go to, you get a gospel message, but it's evangelical every Sunday morning. And um, that's not what the Lord told us to do. Teaching is for the believer. So one of the reasons we do chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Um, We are to go into all the world. First of all, we do have preaching, but after they're saved, you will not keep preaching to them. We're in the process of making disciples and baptizing them. And then Jesus says, teaching them to observe everything that I taught you. We have a, I got a bumper sticker on my guitar case at home. I've had it since the 70s. It's a picture of a sheep, Calvary Chapel logo. And it says, Calvary Chapel, where the sheep like to eat. I thought it was a pretty catchy little phrase. And um, so that's why we feel it's so important that the growth, man can't live by bread alone, but, but by the word. We feed the sheep by teaching them God's word. Now, verses 18 and 19, subject change. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken, he said to him, follow me. Now let me just, and what I did is I went to Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is a classic, and I wanted to read what they had to say about Peter's death. I'm quoting from Fox's Book of Martyrs on Peter. In this persecution, many other saints, Peter, in case here the apostle, was condemned to die and was crucified as some would write, at Rome. And we're told here that Jerome said that he was crucified, his head being down and his feet upwards himself, so requiring that he was, he said, unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner as the Lord was. Peter, when you, before you met me, you were free, did what you want, went wherever you want, whenever you wanted to, went fishing wherever you wanted to. You're a free spirit. You just did it. But now that you followed me, you left it all. I said, follow me. And now, this is what's going to happen to you as a result of following me. It's gonna cost you your life. But what's interesting to me in verse 19 is, is the word follow me. In other words, this is the second time Jesus told Peter to follow him. The first time was three years earlier. I have entitled the message this morning, Our God is a God of a Second Chance, and might I say a third and a fourth, etc., etc. And he is trying to get Peter's attention. Did he do it? Oh yeah, he did it. 
Peter had to admit, Lord, you know me better than I know myself. And he had to go to Peter a second time and say, now Peter, this is the second time I'm asking you to do this. Um, I want you to follow me. Let me just stop and, and try to make a personal application on what's happening in our world right now. And you, you watching live stream, maybe you like Peter need a second chance. And this worldwide pandemic is getting your attention. Oh, at one time you would do anything for the Lord. You would have left it all and follow him. But like the church of Ephesus, you've left your first love. You got tired of waiting for the Lord to come all these years. The Bible says there will be scoffers in the last days saying, where's the promise of his coming? These were people who weren't on fire for the Lord. Maybe that's you watching here this morning. And what he had to do to Peter is get Peter's attention. Shake him up a little bit. Get him to admit he had gotten away. He's actually thinking about going back to the old ways. There's some of, well, with that being said, turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter two. And this is what happened to a church that John actually was responsible for founding. The very first one that we'll be studying when we go to Revelation is the church of Ephesus. And in Ephesus, we find they had a lot of things going for them. He says to the, to the church of verse two, I know your labors, your works, your patience. You can't bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they're apostles that are not. You found them liars. You have persevered. You've had patience. You've labored for my name's sake. And you've not become weary. Wow, I'm impressed. And then he says, nevertheless. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you left your first love. Notice it said they didn't lose it. They left it. They got involved with the works and left off the most important thing, which is to love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your might, with all your heart. They were in, uh, I would call this the social gospel, doing the works. And then he says, remember, I call these the three R's. Remember from where you have fallen. I would liken this to the day that Peter had his first great catch when they left it all. They didn't care. They didn't care about the money. They didn't care about the business. They fell in love with Jesus. This is God that's asking us to follow him. And they did. And so with this pandemic going on, if it's caused you to shake you up a little bit, and I don't know how people can't be shook up, and they're asking the questions, maybe they're looking back and remembering. Remember from where you have fallen. Fallen from what? Falling from actually getting more involved with serving the Lord than loving the Lord. And the second R is repent. Repent just means flip it around. I still love you, and I will seek you out just like he sought Peter out. Repent and do the first work. Well, what is the first work? Love God with all your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Or else. That scares me. I don't know about you. When the Lord says, or else, 
I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And there's the third one. So we have here what I, I call the three R's. Remember when you first got saved. Repent if you've lost your first love. And then return to the Lord. He's the God of a second chance. The Lord will seek you out just like he did Peter. Well, what are you talking about, Dwight? Are you talking about John 21? No, I'm not. I'm talking about the day of the resurrection in the afternoon in Luke's gospel, where Jesus appeared to Cleopas and his buddy, and they're all bummed out because they thought it's all over. They're going home. Jesus is gone. We're going home. And the Lord appeared to them, and they go back to tell the disciples, they said, the Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Peter. Where did they get that in full? Don't know. And that's all we know. All we know is Jesus had a one-on-one somewhere that day with Simon Peter. And and if you're taking notes at Luke, Luke 24, verse 34, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Well, what did he say to him? We don't know. It was intimate. It was personal. And as we're gonna see as we close this chapter, it's none of our business. This is between Peter and Jesus. But he will do that for you too. What you're going through right now, you might be thinking, oh, if you know what I've done since I've left the Lord, there's no way he'll ever, I'll never be that way again. Well, maybe he has to turn the world upside down to get your attention. But if he's doing that, then listen, listen up. Because he is the God of a second chance. And as he appeared to Simon Peter, he'll seek you out. He'll create a divine appointment. He will let you know that all you need to do is remember what it was like. Repent from that. And then come back home. Come back home to the one you fell in love with in the first place. Let's go back to John 21. And uh, that's 18 and 19 verse This is so typical, Peter. I I laughed out loud when I read this. Then Peter turning around, having this heavy encounter with the Lord, even how he's gonna die. So what's the first thing that Peter does? Turns around and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast that supper, saying, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Well, this is John. Remember they were sitting at the table and the Lord said, somebody here is gonna betray me. Peter's at the other end. He's going like this to John. John, ask him. So he does. He says, Lord, who is it? And he says, it's the one that when I dip this up, I'll give it to him. He takes it, dips it, hands it to Judas. And he goes, whoa, it's Judas. John knew. And verse 21, Peter said to Jesus, well, what about John? What about this man? You just told me how I'm gonna die. What about John? Now this, like I said, I laughed out loud when I read this. It brings out the personality of Peter. Now remember this guy. He was the one at Caesarea Philippi when the Lord said, who do men say that I am? Oh, some think you're Elijah, Jeremiah, or John the Baptist. Well, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who spoke up. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Peter, well said. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. Peter went, yeah, divine revelation. 
Get that, boys. God's speaking to me. One paragraph later, Lord says, well, I'm, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed, crucified. And Peter's listening to all this. And he's thinking, over my dead body. He said, not so, Lord. That's what you call an oxymoron, by the way. Not so, Lord. <laughs> and what did the Lord do? Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. From divine revelation to an open rebuke that all the guys heard that one too. Well, that's so much Peter having this heavy encounter with the Lord. Now he's turning around looking at John and saying, well, what about John? What about, what about him? Peter was also the one um, that was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah showed up and it was Peter who, just being Peter, oh, we need to build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and uh, one for Elijah. And the father spoke from heaven and basically said, shut up, Peter, he cut him off. And he said, this is my beloved son. I want you to listen to him. But it's so typical of Peter to say something like that. Now, let's let Peter off the hook a little bit and talk about this other disciple, John. Every, read, every time you read, by the way, I should mention that when Peter wrote First and Second Peter, he never used the word phileo again when he talked about love. It was always about agape. Now we have first, second, and third John, and when John writes, he's always talking about love, always talking about love. But that wasn't the original um, John when he was called. Jesus called James and John the sons of thunder. Evidently, they had a short wick. Evidently, they had a short temper. They went into this one town, and Jesus wasn't received. James and John goes up to Jesus and said, Lord, should we call on fire from heaven? Toast these guys right here? He says, guys, you have no idea the spirit that you're of. That was James and John in their earlier days, sons of thunder, calling fire down. And um, it's just not, uh, it's how the Lord worked in them and changed their personalities from very, very rough and crusty around the edges to these, um, I mean, the reoccurring word in Peter's epistle is precious. This big old fisherman, that's his favorite word, is precious. And how the Lord had worked in changing his personality. So when I read this in 2023 about uh, uh, Peter saying, what about him? The Lord said, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? None of your business, Peter. You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say that he would not die, but if I will that he remains till I come, what business is that of you? The last two verses, as we finish up the Gospel of John, as we close the Gospel of John, I want to give you the main reason. There's so 21 chapters here, but Really, there's one point that John begins with and John ends with. And I want you to turn back to the very first chapter of John, chapter one, and look at the first two verses. And we'll have 
the heart of the gospel of John and what he's wanting to accomplish. In verse one it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Go over to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John begins his gospel by saying, Jesus Christ is God. How does he end the gospel? Go back to John chapter 21. Um, Go to 20 first. John 20 verse 30. This is how he begins to close up his book. Verse 30 says, And truly Jesus did many other signs besides these seven miracles. Many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book or his gospel. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The last one is the last verse here as we conclude the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written And he says, amen. When I think of the human anatomy, when I think of the information that's contained in one strand of DNA, they said the information contained in it would fill books from here to the moon and past. It's so detailed. So this is not an exaggeration in what John is saying. Everything that the Lord ever did in in creation and the wonders and the temperaments and personalities and of people, it's mind-boggling. But he has one point, and that point is this. In a world today where everything is relative to whatever you feel it should believe, you need to know as you go through the gospel that it makes this declaration, Acts 4, verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. You think there's another path? There's not. Jesus says the road to me is narrow and few be that find it. But broad is the gate and wide is the way that leads to destruction and many will be that find that. We're living in a time where um, absolutes want to be done away with. You need to know that there are, are absolutes in the scripture and there's absolutely no other way that you can be saved except through Jesus Christ. He's the only one, my friends. And if you're in a state of hopelessness right now or despair and um, thinking, what's the use? Lost my job, living alone, I'm lonely, and um, I'm really in despair. I want you to know there's hope. And with that, we'll close with John chapter 14 this morning. And I want you to know there's a God who loves you. He'll go out of his way to find you just as he did Peter. But more importantly than that, 
This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And unless you understand that, you will be filled with despair because it's not about here and now. Paul, we read it last week, Paul was saying, look, um, if I had a choice, I would go and be with Jesus. But it's better for me to be here now. But if I had a choice, I would go to be with the Lord. And that's what the hope we find here in John 14 as we close up this morning. Just the first three verses. Let not your hearts be troubled, even in these troubled times. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. The blessed hope of the rapture. And receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. My friends, uh, this is hope. No matter what happens, nothing can change. What was just said is going to take place. But he will not force your arm. He will seek you out. He'll present truth to you. You might feel it, you might not feel it, but it boils down to what John is saying in this gospel. Wanting you to know that Jesus Christ is God and he is, as we read on here, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yes, that's narrow, but more importantly, it's true. But he won't force you, but he will give you that freedom of choice to either accept him or reject him. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning as we have been going through the gospel of John. What a rich and powerful gospel it is. And how in-depth your word is. And we just are grateful, like Peter, falling on his face, recognizing that you're in the boat with him. Lord, help us have that brokenness of humility knowing that um, we deserve all the punishment that you took on Calvary's cross. And what you gave us in exchange is your righteousness, where now we can come boldly before the throne of God. And we're so grateful because we, can, we know we can never do it in our own good works or abilities. So thank you, Heavenly Father, for Jesus. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. world today where everything is relative, to whatever you feel it should believe, you need to know as you go through the gospel that it makes this declaration, Acts 4, verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. You think there's another path? There's not. Jesus says the road to me is narrow, and few be that find it. But broad is the gate, and wide is the way that leads to destruction. And many will be that find that. We're living in a time where um, absolutes want to be done away with. You need to know that there are, are absolutes in the scripture and there's absolutely no other way that you can be saved except through Jesus Christ. He's the only one, my friends. And if you're in a state of hopelessness right now or despair, and um, thinking, what's the use? Lost my job, living alone, I'm lonely. 
And um, I'm really in despair. I want you to know there's hope. And with that, we'll close with John chapter 14 this morning. And I want you to know there's a God who loves you. He'll go out of his way to find you just as he did Peter. But more importantly than that, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. And unless you understand that, you will be filled with despair because it's not about here and now. Paul, we read it last week, Paul was saying, look, um, if I had a choice, I would go and be with Jesus. But it's better for me to be here now. But if I had a choice, I would go to be with the Lord. And that's what the hope we find here in John 14 as we close up this morning. Just the first three verses. Let not your hearts be troubled, even in these troubled times. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. The blessed hope of the rapture. And receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. My friends, uh, this is hope. No matter what happens, nothing can change. What was just said is going to take place. But he will not force your arm. He will seek you out. He'll present truth to you. You might feel it. You might not feel it. But it boils down to what John is saying in this gospel. Wanting you to know that Jesus Christ is God. And he is, as we read on here, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yes, that's narrow. But more importantly, it's true. But he won't force you but he will give you that freedom of choice to either accept him or reject him. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning as we have been going through the gospel of John. What a rich and powerful gospel it is and how in-depth your word is. And we just are grateful, like Peter, falling on his face, recognizing that you're in the boat with him. Lord, help us have that brokenness of humility, knowing that um, we deserve all the punishment that you took on Calvary's cross. And what you gave us in exchange is your righteousness, where now we can come boldly before the throne of God. We're so grateful because we we know we can never do it in our own good works or abilities. So thank you, Heavenly Father, for Jesus. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.